Welcome to our podcast. I'm your host Garima Batra and today we are diving deep into a topic that's been making waves in both scientific circles and everyday conversations. A topic that involves chemistry and a touch of controversy. We are delving into two intriguing concepts that have been causing quite a stir lately, THC inflation and lab shopping. But before we dive head first into our exploration of THC inflation and lab shopping, I'm excited to introduce you to an incredibly knowledgeable and respected figure in the cannabis industry. Ladies and gentlemen, on today's episode, I'm joined by none other than Ginny Glairos, the Chief Scientific Officer of Modern Canna Labs. Ginny is extremely involved in the cannabis industry and currently serves on the scientific advisory board for analytical cannabis is a member of the CASP proficiency testing advisory task force with AOAC International is a member of the cannabis working group with ASTM International and is a member of the CANMED 2023 advisory board before entering the cannabis industry, Ginny gained valuable research experience at several well-respected institutes, including Emory University, the National Institute of Aging, and the University of Florida. She became the lab director of Modern Canna in January of 2018 and was promoted to CSO in August of 2022. During her time at Modern Canna, Ginny has been instrumental in method development for the analytical testing parameters that the lab conducts. Ginny is currently focused on developing standardized methods for the cannabis industry that will provide labs with all of the tools necessary to ensure the data they produce is accurate, reproducible, and legally defensible. Welcome to the podcast, Ginny. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Thank you, Jeannie. We are equally excited to have you. Let's start a discussion and journey into the world of THC inflation and lab shopping. To set the stage, let's begin with the fundamental question. What exactly is THC inflation? Can you explain the concept of THC inflation and lab shopping in the cannabis industry? Yes. So I guess when we start with the term THC inflation and what that refers to, and so that ultimately is the practice of falsely elevating the reported levels of cannabinoids that are in a product, meaning you will get a certificate of analysis and that may say that the flower sample has 40% THC while it actually only has 25% THC or a distillate that's supposed to have 95% THC that actually only has 80% THC. The tricky thing, however, about potency inflation is that while, yes, sometimes it is being done maliciously and we do see labs manipulating their data, there are other times where it's occurring because the laboratories who are conducting the testing just don't have the skill set or the knowledge necessary to realize where bias has been added to their processes. So at the end of the day, they don't even realize the results they're reporting out are skewed. And ultimately, you know, THC inflation is a really big problem that we're seeing all over the U.S. and it's leading to lab shopping. And lab shopping is going to be, for those of you who may not be familiar with that term, is going to be when a producer goes from lab to lab looking for who will provide the most favorable result. And with favorable results, it's important to remember that it's not just about THC. Uh, there's also lab shopping occurring in relation to a laboratory's ability to see contaminants, which honestly, in my opinion, is probably a bigger concern um, than the potency situation. 
But with testing, the cannabis lab market honestly has probably become a little oversaturated and to a point where laboratories are making decisions to manipulate their data for fear that they may lose a client or they may go out of business. And at the end of the day, we exist as laboratories to protect the consumer and to tell the truth. And that's only going to happen if the laboratory has a good culture that promotes ethics and if they are constantly striving to get better and to reduce the error in their processes. Um, I think that where the problem of THC inflation starts is and, you know, where we can move away from it is going to be one, we need all of the laboratories in the industry to have a good foundation for their ethics and a passion for doing the right thing. And two, we need all laboratories in the industry to constantly strive to get better and to improve their processes. So cannabis is still a really new industry and there are so many ways for labs to improve and no one's perfect. We're not a perfect lab either. Thank you, Ginny, for that insightful breakdown of THC inflation. I think it's clear that this issue goes beyond just the numbers on the label and touches on the very integrity of the products consumers consume. Now let's explore the factors that contribute to THC inflation and how this phenomenon has evolved over the years. Could you walk us through some of the key factors that contribute to THC inflation in the cannabis market and how THC inflation has evolved over the years? Of course. So I think one of the main factors that has contributed to THC inflation is going to be the cannabis market itself and the lack of education for consumers. So you see all the time, everybody wants to get the highest THC product. They want that fire weed. Um, they only want to buy the best of the best. And as a result, in order to stay on top, producers need to figure out ways to make sure their product tests out the best and has that high THC number that consumers want to purchase. And this has led to instances of labs doing whatever it takes to please the client, thus resulting in those numbers being driven higher and higher and higher. Um, additionally, because the standardization in the industry is still lacking, we're seeing a lot of this potency inflation occurring. And that's not just in relation to the analytical methodologies, but it's also in relation to sampling and sample prep and even data reporting. Um, and it's ultimately providing laboratories with an avenue to report exaggerated THC values and then say, oops, I didn't realize what I was doing because the regulations are constantly changing and don't always make sense. Um, so it's leading to some of those issues that we're seeing. Um, especially with sampling. Um, so take, for instance, in places where a product can be sent in by a producer or where the laboratory can handpick what product they want to test. Um, the producer, you know, most likely is going to select the best buds to send for testing. And chances are, if a laboratory is walking into a facility and looking at a big bin of flour, <laughs> they're also going to do the same because it's going to benefit their client. Um, however, in other markets, as a way to eliminate this, the product has to be collected in final product packaging and that packaging is opaque so the lab can't see what they're taking um, so they're randomly selecting some of those jars and bringing them back to the lab for testing and really things like this can help eliminate some of the inherent human biases that are being introduced into potency testing that is probably causing some of this evolution that we're seeing people are getting smarter about how they're doing it and how the system is being manipulated oh Thank you, Jeannie, for explaining to our audience the complex interplay of factors that have led to the evolution of THC inflation. 
Moving forward, let's shift our focus to another critical aspect of our discussion, lab shopping. Could you explain to our audience how lab shopping drives THC inflation and what are the risks associated with this practice? Yeah, so realistically, um, if a producer can go to lab A and they can get a result of 20% THC, but go to lab B and get a result of 30% THC for their flower, they're probably going to choose to go with lab B because that's going to be the higher result. Um, and you hear about a lot of producers who are working with labs who will give them that higher number because then that product can be sold at higher amounts. They can do more with that product because they have that higher value. And you know, we hear a lot about producers who are doing lab evaluations, they're comparing results that are obtained. And, you know, you really hope that when they're doing that, they're looking at all of the factors, but it's kind of worrisome is the only factor people are looking at, is it that THC number and how high that THC number is because everybody has to compete in this market. So the higher and higher the numbers are, the more they want to compete, um, the more they want to be able to stay on top. And so it really causes this lab shopping um, to increase because people want those higher THC numbers. They need to find those higher THC numbers. But, you know, there's a lot of risk associated with these practices. And some of those risks, you know, include reputational damage. Um, people are starting to get called out when their product is testing too high. We've seen product recalls. Um, that doesn't help um, them at all. Um, mm -hmm. Additionally, loss of consumer confidence. People are starting to catch on. They're seeing, oh, my product wasn't actually 40% THC, and then they don't want to buy that product again because they don't know if they're being lied to. Right. So it's THC number that uh, the people are looking at. Thank you for elaborating on the intricacies of lab shopping, Jeannie. It's evident that uh, uh, this practice introduces a layer of complexity to an already intricate industry landscape. As we continue to navigate through this thought-provoking discussion, let's zoom in on the consequences of inaccurate THC potency reporting. The implications seem far-reaching, affecting consumers, businesses, labs, and the industry on a larger scale. Could you help us unpack these consequences? What are the consequences of inaccurate THC potency reporting for consumers, businesses, uh, labs, and the industry as a whole? So let's start by talking about the consumer. Um, ultimately, when THC inflation is occurring and values are being reported are, that are inaccurate, it's consumer fraud, plain and simple. The consumer is being told they're purchasing product A at a specific concentration and they're paying a certain amount for that product. However, if that product is actually at a lower concentration, there is a chance that they should or would be paying less. Um, additionally, it impacts the confidence that they have in the industry. Um, as THC inflation happens more and more, you see more consumers asking questions like, well, if they're lying about the potency, what else are they lying about? Um, and that's not where we want to move the industry towards. Um, in regard to the laboratories, the THC inflation is causing some of the good labs to go out of business and resulting in short-term success for those labs who are willing to let their numbers rise, um, who are willing to report out that higher and higher value. However, those benefits are only going to be short-term um, because as the regulations for the industry become more stringent, we're going to start seeing labs who are losing their credibility and their reputation, and they're going to get caught. 
Um, we're also starting to see regulators who are issuing fines and other penalties. And even in some cases, we've seen licenses that have been pulled from laboratories who are manipulating their data. So while this THC inflation may benefit them in the short term, in the long term, it's it's not helping anyone. It's not helping the industry. It's not helping the lab. It's not helping the consumer. Um, and with the industry in relation to that, the more and more scandals that happen, the less people are going to trust the industry and the less likely they are going to be to use products. Um, even more so, we're we're at a very interesting crossroads for cannabis. We're one where we're moving away from it being dangerous and moving to it being helpful. However, if the press continues and we see negative stuff happening, that may change and it may end up affecting public policy and political support and even future legalization efforts. The industry is still struggling to get rid of that negative stigma that has been attached to it for so long. And realistically, those of us who work in the industry need to be doing everything in our power to ensure that we help change people's minds. And things like THC, inflation, and lab shopping aren't going to help change people's mind about cannabis. True, true. That was a comprehensive overview of the potential repercussions tied to inaccurate uh, THC potency reporting, Ginny. It's clear that these consequences extend beyond mere numbers, influencing trust, credibility, and, uh, well, perhaps uh, legal considerations also. As we move forward, I'd like to tap into your extensive experience. Could you share with us some real-life examples or case studies that highlight the consequences that labs have faced due to inaccurate THC potency reporting? These anecdotes, you know, could help us better understand the tangible effects of these practices on labs and their credibility. Yeah, I think really anyone who is in the cannabis industry and reads anything cannabis related news wise has probably seen a lot of these real life examples of what can happen when laboratories are reporting inaccurate data. Uh, there have been numerous articles uh, out about laboratories who are receiving fines or having their licenses revoked because of bad data. Uh, we've even started to see where people are filing lawsuits over products they believe were misabled. So I think it's I think it's safe to say that, you know, those benefits of reporting out inaccurate and inflated numbers will only last for so long. And eventually the people who are playing the system and manipulating their data are going to get caught. And we're seeing more and more of that every day. Yeah, true. People can't game the system for very long. Now, let's uh, shift our focus towards solutions. Uh, it's crucial to address the twin challenges of THC inflation and lab shopping if we are to foster a more transparent and uh, a trustworthy cannabis industry. Given your extensive experience, we would like to hear your thoughts on potential strategies that the industry can adopt to counter these trends. What do you think are some of the strategies the industry can adopt to address these uh, twin trends? So I think that uh, there's still a lot that needs to be done before potency, inflation, and lab shopping go away completely. But I do think we as an industry are starting to make efforts to move in that direction. So we're seeing more and more state-run labs popping up that will be able to verify data being reported by laboratories. We are also seeing more standardized methods appearing in the cannabis testing fields. Um, and that is a great way to start making our way towards moving away from that. Um, however, in addition to these types of things, some of the additional things that I think the industry could benefit um, from are implementing second lab checks where, you know, if a result is questionable, they have to be verified by another lab. And then that data has to be 
reviewed by the state regulators or things like more round robin testing would probably help. And this would involve sending the same exact sample out to multiple labs without telling them, of course, and then seeing how those results compare and line up. Uh, another way that we could maybe curb the issue is seeing more penalties for the laboratories who are doing things incorrectly. If a laboratory has their license pulled or receives a really big fine and the other laboratories get wind of that, chances are they're going to start rethinking what they're doing and make sure they're acting above board because they don't want to be in that same position. They don't want to end up like that lab who got caught for doing what they shouldn't have been doing. Thank you for outlining those uh, strategies, Ginny. A multifaceted approach is needed to address these challenges and establish a more robust foundation for the industry, it seems. Now I'd like to shift our attention to the labs themselves. For lab owners and management staff, maintaining consistent and reliable THC potency results is paramount. Could you provide some guidance on the measures they can take to ensure that their uh, labs provide the consistent and reliable THC potency results? And are there any tools for uh, cannabis testing labs that can help address these challenges and ensure accurate reporting of test results? Yeah, so I think that, you know, measures that people can take are going to be, the big one is going to be training. So all laboratories, they need to have standard operating procedures uh, for their employees to follow. And that's per ISO, which is the standard accreditation we typically see cannabis labs having. Um, however, there's way more to it than just having an SOP. Uh, the analysts and the technicians who are prepping and analyzing the samples, they really need to understand why and what they're doing, and they need proper training and how any deviations may impact the results. Because if they don't have the ability to troubleshoot when something goes wrong or identify when something has gone wrong, then they're never going to know that mistakes are happening. They're never going to know that they're skewing their results or that their data is impacted and that their THC numbers aren't reliable. Um, I think that additionally, the laboratories need to be striving to get better. Uh, we all have stuff to learn. There's lots of ways that we can improve our processes and that in itself should be a constant process. We should constantly be improving our processes and saying, oh, wait, by doing this, I'm introducing this much error. By doing this, I could reduce that error, which gives me a more accurate number. As far as tools go, I think some of the tools that laboratories can use to help this include things like participating in proficiency testing, which will allow them to gauge their capabilities to detect and quantify the analytes they're testing for. Additionally, they really need to have a good quality management system that is incorporating maintaining records, is incorporating training, and is incorporating ethics. Um, ethics goes into this uh, because, you know, analysts may receive pressure from upper management and they need to know what to do if and when they receive that pressure and what the ethical decision is to make there. And then I think as well, the use of a good limb system is essential in a laboratory being able to provide good data, um, since it's going to help eliminate some of that human error. It's going to eliminate transcription errors when transferring data. It's going to eliminate having to manually type things in because you're going to be able to pull straight from the instrument. So all of those are practices that I think can help ensure that when laboratories are doing things, they're doing things correctly. Thanks. Thanks, Rini. I'd now like to delve into a topic that holds immense importance, and that is education and awareness. 
It's clear that addressing THC inflation and promoting consumer safety requires a collective effort and a well-informed community is at the heart of this endeavor. Could you elaborate on the role education and awareness play in combating THC inflation and promoting consumer safety within the cannabis market? Yeah, I think that is I think that consumers are part of the reason why we're seeing THC inflation ultimately because they want that product with the highest THC number. They want to purchase the most fireweed and I think a big part of that is educating them on what is really happening in that product. So if a consumer knows and understands more about potency and what it means and also even just how high of a THC can realistically be seen in flower, we're going to see less and less people searching for the 40% bud and we're going to see more people looking for bud that has accurate and realistic numbers. Um, the truth is, is that the effects that are felt from consuming cannabis are not solely based on that THC number. Um, there's a lot of other compounds that are playing a role, including things like terpenes and flavonoids. And that really is what should be driving more of the market. We should be looking for things like minor cannabinoids and terpenes to make decisions on what products people want to consume and how it will help them rather than I just want to get the highest possible. Um, in the end, uh -huh. the more educated a consumer is, the more likely they are going to be able to help push the market away from crazy, unrealistic potency numbers and towards ones that make sense. Uh, once they realize that the product they are purchasing isn't actually 42% THC, they aren't going to be happy about that. And they're probably not going to purchase that product again. And they're going to look for product results that make sense, product results that are accurate, reliable, and reproducible. Right. So education and awareness play a crucial role in empowering consumers and fostering a more informed cannabis community. Your insights highlight the power of knowledge in steering the industry toward transparency and safety. Now let's pivot to the consumer perspective. With the wealth of information you've shared, it's clear that the consumers play an important role in demanding accuracy and integrity in the products they choose. So from a consumer standpoint, what are some red flags that individuals should be vigilant about? Are there any telltale signs that could indicate potentially inaccurate THC potency claims or other quality concerns? So with this, I think that one is consumers really need to familiarize themselves with realistic THC numbers and values that can be obtained from various strains of cannabis. There's some great resources out there that they can look up <clears throat> a specific cultivar and it will tell them, you know, what the average potency normally is. And those numbers are coming from reputable labs. So those numbers are being pulled from labs who have tested these types of cultivars. They've been vetted and they can use those type of resources to say, okay, this product normally is, you know, anywhere from 20 to 23% THC. So if they're seeing a 30% THC, you know, maybe it's, maybe it is a, a better grow of it, but maybe it's also potency inflation and we need to investigate that and look into that more. Um, they also should be weary of, you know, claims of really high potencies, um, extremely high THC numbers may not be real and they should question those types of things. And I think also just understanding how to look at that certificate of analysis and understanding what it says and what it means is an important part because once they understand that they're going to start to see those red flags, they're going to start to see when something doesn't make sense or something doesn't add up and they're going to be able to identify 
the problems. And I'm not saying that every consumer needs to become an expert on a certificate of analysis, but I think just the basics, uh, the basics of understanding, you know, is the lab accredited? Where can I find that information? What's the name of the lab? You know, what's their reputation? Have they received, you know, can I find anything about them being in the news for being in trouble, uh, for doing things they shouldn't be doing? All of those sorts of things will really, I think, help and be able to point out where some of these issues are occurring. Thank you, Jeannie. I'm sure your guidance will help customers make more informed choices. As we near the conclusion of our discussion, Jeannie, let's shift gears to discuss the regulatory landscape. What jurisdictions, in your opinion, should the states bring in for curbing such practices to safeguard public interest? I really think that the states, you know, they are making a really good effort to implement regulations and certification requirements, accreditation requirements that will help curb some of this. Um, it's just going to take time. It's not going to change overnight. Um, but as states are doing this, some of the things that they need to remember are things like, okay, the lab needs to be accredited and they should probably also have a state certification requirement that they go through. Um, in Florida, we have extensive requirements as a cannabis testing lab that we must follow. Um, there's lots and lots of regulations that we have to abide by and that, you know, really has helped ensure that people are doing things correctly. Um, states should also probably start standardizing the methods um, that labs are using uh, or at least having some sort of control over the labs that what the methods are being used to determine the THC. Um, programs like ASTM and AOAC, they're both working on coming out with methods for the detection and determination of cannabinoids um, in order to ensure that we have, you know, this standardized method that everybody can follow. I think things like surprise audits um, and inspections by the state can help verify labs are following their protocols and procedures. Um, it's it's easier for a lab to hide something in a data pack that's being sent versus to hide something when there's someone standing over top of them watching what they're doing um, and being able to ask questions. And I think the ISO audits help with this because the ISO auditors come in and they ask those questions. But you also know when your ISO auditor is coming, whereas if the state surprises you and shows up, they may be able to curb some of that um, issues, some of those issues that we're seeing. And then I think the penalties is is a big thing. So uh, giving penalties out that makes sense for what is happening. So the higher the penalty, the less likely the lab is going to do it again. Um, and the more likely other labs are going to get on board with doing the right thing because they're not going to want to join that list of labs that have received penalties. Thank you, Jeannie, for sharing your thoughts on the regulatory aspects that can help shape a more accountable cannabis industry. Jeannie, before we conclude, I'd like to touch on a technical aspect that's been gaining attention in recent times, and that is dry weight corrections and their impact on potency values. Could you elaborate on how dry weight corrections are influencing potency values? I'm sure our audience from the lab industry would be interested in knowing this. Yes. So with potency and dry weight correction. So, you know, at the end of the day, dry weight correction is probably the most accurate result that can be provided um, because it's going to remove the water. The problem with dry weight corrections, however, are that 
the methods for determining moisture vary so drastically from lab to lab. We are seeing crazy changes in potency values because of that moisture impact. So if a lab is reporting out 6% moisture while another lab is reporting out 14% moisture, the difference in those THC values is going to probably be, you know, about 2 to 3% higher. And you're seeing that those dry weight corrections are impacting that number and causing some of this inflation that we're seeing. People get, you know, 30% THCA, but when they apply their dry weight correction, they now get 35% THCA. Um, and that's what's being told to the consumer. And I think that the way that moisture is being done is probably not the most accurate way to do moisture. Whenever we're tip labs are typically doing moisture, they're using a moisture balance or a moisture like loss on drying method. So it's heating up the sample very hot. We're losing volatile compounds. And so we need to kind of standardize the way everybody's doing that moisture um, to determine what is the best way. I know that there are moisture balances available that only heat the product to 80 degrees Celsius, which is going to prevent the decarboxylation and the loss of some of those volatiles. So Figuring out a way to standardize the method in a way that, yes, we want to apply a dry weight correction because it will be accurate, but no, we don't want to apply a dry weight correction if the method that's determining that dry weight is going to be so different for everybody. Thank you, Jeannie. That was informative indeed. Jeannie, our conversation today has been incredibly enlightening. Through your expertise, we've gained a deeper appreciation for the challenges and opportunities in creating a more transparent and uh, trustworthy cannabis industry. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude uh, to you, Jeannie, for uh, joining us today and sharing your wealth of knowledge. I'm sure our listeners have gained invaluable insights from this conversation. As we wrap up, I encourage our listeners to continue this exploration of these issues, staying informed and engaged in the ongoing conversation about creating a more transparent, trustworthy and safe cannabis market. Dear audience, we hope you had a great learning experience while tuning into this podcast. Your opinions matter greatly to us and we eagerly anticipate your feedback. Do share your feedback with us on this podcast at support at should you have any questions on the discussed topic or if you are in search of a reliable limb solution to assure the accuracy of THC values reported by your lab, you can reach us at 1-302-789-0447 or send an email to support at cloudlimbs.com. Bye for now. Thank you, Jeannie.